This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey. We have the honor of being joined once again, for the last time, at least with us, by John Tenuto, knowledgeable person of Star Trek and... Uh, I don't even know where to where to begin. <laughs> Thank, thanks for joining us, John. Or where to end? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for that introduction. So, as anyone who has listened to this show knows, we love the what ifs of Star Trek, of the world of Star Trek, and the things that never were, and the things that might have been, and all that other good stuff. And one of the things which no one ever really talks about, probably because they don't really know much about it, is the original first movie, maybe, kind of thing. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Planet of the Titans. So uh, I know John knows a lot about this, and um, I'm hoping that by the end of this conversation, we'll know a lot about it, too. So thanks for, again for joining us, John. Um, so where where do we start? I don't even know where we start. I mean, is this is this after the animated series? I guess it would be. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's the very first sort of inklings. Um, in a way, you have to go back to the to the early seventies. Um, you know, we did. Uh, my wife and I did a lot of research on newspaper articles, and one of the the, the you know themes that emerged out of it was how early there was a talk of Star Trek's return. You know, we tend to think of, you know, I think the meta, the, 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 the story that most people hear, and uh, this is a bit setting up, I guess, a bit of, uh, admittedly a bit of a straw man argument, but I think this is enough of the attitude that, that, that has been, you know, repeated and the mythology that has been built. And, um, many people like, uh, uh, you know the the Reeve Stevens have worked very hard to to get the facts out there about this and then to, to shed light and dispel these myths. But um, you know the, the the myth basically is well, Star Trek the motion picture comes into existence because of Star Wars, right? So Star Wars comes out, and uh, the executives at Paramount sit around and, and say, "Ooh, don't we have something like that? So we can have our own Star Wars." And someone says, "Oh yeah, we've got Star Trek," and then we get a Star Trek movie. But Star Trek has a very long history of trying to return uh, in the, in one form or another, and it goes all the way back to at least August fourth, nineteen seventy two, when there's an article in newspapers across the country with an interview with Gene Roddenberry. And one of the things that that's interesting about this interview with him is he reveals in this interview that he just that same day that the reporters talked to him had made a deal to do an animated show with film filmation. So it was, it was interestingly a, an announcement about, uh, it was slipped in there. It's not what the point of this article was, um, but sort of slipped in there as a first mention of the animated show also. But um, Roddenberry in the article is talking about the po- the continued popularity of Star Trek, which by now 1972 we, we have a couple of things going on in January of that year. There were the really big, convention, the very first convention, January 21st to the 23rd in New York at the Statler Hotel, Hilton Hotel. They had the very first, you know, Star Trek convention with guests. Um, and uh, there had been one back in, in 1969 at a library in, in Newark, but but that didn't have any guests. But this is sort of the big one. And that got a lot of press and attention. You started to have um, Star Trek being incredibly successful in, in syndication. You know, WGN 
which is the local Chicago station, and people are probably familiar with it as a super station now, but back then it was a local station, and uh, it was pulling in 375, 400,000 viewers on repeat episodes of the repeats. It was just astounding, the numbers that Star Trek was getting, um, because it was being customized for each each community um, and put on it at a time when people would watch it. And so... Uh, in, you know, by in July 1972, Paramount was still getting 500 letters a week asking for the return of Star Trek. So in this article, Gene Roddenberry talks about how Star Trek will be coming back as either a movie of the week, a TV show, whether a regular TV show or irregular TV show, um, or a regular motion picture that they haven't decided yet, but that they were starting to crunch the numbers and what the best way would be to do this. And it was believed by Paramount at that time that if it was a motion picture, that they could pre-sell 3 million tickets, which would have been enormous, right? It would much, much bigger than even Planet of the Apes had been. And uh, they were talking to people like Robert Redford, or at least talking about people like Robert Redford, if not to him, about making and having him having a role in the film. So they they were you know they were looking at a big fairly big budget you know uh, science fiction film as early as 1972 as one of the ways that Star Trek could return, and then what happens is in uh, 1975 the ball really starts to get rolling, and uh, you know now Star Trek is very much mainstreamed again. Uh, you know Saturday Night Live has a skit about it, Sanford and Son, which is the number one show on sitcom on TV, it references Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek is fully back in the mainstream. And so there, the plan is to have a movie. And the important thing, of course, is to realize this is two years before Star Wars is out in theaters, that Star Trek is planned to be a, to be a film. And um, while Lucas is currently kind of gearing up to make Star Wars at this time, it is not on anybody's radar. No, nobody, nobody's thinking about Star Wars at this time. And so um, Roddenberry writes a script called The God Thing in 1975. And there's some beats in there that will carry through all the way through the motion picture. In the movie, in this script, uh, Kirk is promoted to an, an admiral and isn't happy about that. McCoy has retired and he's a vet. And Spock has returned to Vulcan to purge his human half. So all that same sort of theme uh, that we keep in the motion picture is in this God Thing, the script called The God Thing. And basically what the story is, is there is an alien on its way to Earth, a la Viger, um, who's a threat and is, uh, is, is uh, the crew has to intercept it. And when they intercept this alien, it creates a probe, a la Elia, and, and comes on board the ship. But this probe manifests itself in different forms, always religious forms. So it comes on board as various prophets, as Hammurabi, as Hamid, as, you know, all these different prophets. And then as Jesus is one of the visages that it has. And what the crew discovers is that this alien spaceship, this alien uh, uh, creature, has come to Earth many times in history and answers the unanswerable questions human beings have and does it in the way that humans can understand at that time. And so basically the implication is Jesus was an alien and religion was created by these aliens and, 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 and the mechanism given to the people of Earth um, to answer the questions that they have. And then what, what the problem is it had malfunctioned and, uh, and Kirk and crew kind of set it right and repair the malfunction and then and, and, and convince this alien thing that we don't need this anymore, that human beings have evolved beyond us. Well, you can imagine that was a pretty controversial idea for a script uh, and was not going to be something that was going to be taken lightly in the mainstream. And so that script was pretty quickly rejected, um, which then would lead us into into getting geared up for another script um, so they can, can, can produce a Star Trek film. And that's where Planet of Titans comes from. Okay, a couple things here. Sorry, going back a little bit. First off, was the God thing proposed i mean like i know that he said that it, he wasn't sure what form it would take or whatever but when he was writing it was he thinking this is going to be a 
feature film like on the big screen or was he thinking that this might still be a movie of the week or or a pilot potentially for phase two yeah. or what yeah by 75 it was a, it was a movie so it okay. was yeah he was writing a, a screenplay um you know for a two-hour major motion picture by that time okay and it's interesting that the studio because i know obviously um as as we'll see further along in history, the studio is kind of like, yeah, that Gene Roddenberry guy, we're not too sure about him. But at this point, they were like, yeah, Gene Roddenberry, he created Star Trek. Of course, we're going to have him write the, the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, there's while while the script itself isn't isn't put into production, there's I mean, in, in many ways, it, it 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 has a lot of the same big themes as the motion picture does. So, I mean, you know, Roddenberry's hand is in, is in what eventually we get as the motion picture, you know, through this script and through his other contributions as the production goes along. And then I guess my third question is, have you read the God thing? Yeah. The God thing script is available. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, <laughs> I, I could certainly see a, 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 a very concerned studio um, based on the themes of, of it, you know, but you, but but at the same time, it, it's it was interesting. It was definitely 70s. And that, that theme was a big part of the 70s, you know, science fiction wise. Right. The theme about religion and were the, you know, the pyramids built by aliens and that whole sort of UFO um thematic and you know that that was a big theme and so he was tapping into something that was really hot at that time in the world of science fiction he may have just put maybe too fine a point on it um to 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 affect you know uh an actual production of a film but um you know he had another idea too for a story which involved kirk going back in time and 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 with 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 Kennedy's assassination, so I mean, he had a lot of different ideas uh, that, and then you know, then to Roddenberry's credit, a lot of the same, at least mega themes, return. You know, we we do go back in time in several of the Star Trek films. You know, the concept of history changing is a big part of some of the best Star Trek episodes in the Next Generation era. So, you know, he was on the right he was on the right path. You know, thematically. Um, there was, I believe, a book version uh, by Michael Jan Friedman that was going to be released in the 90s. Oh, I heard about he took, this. He, yeah, he took the script and he had adapted it and turned it into a novel. And I, 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 you know, I don't know the history of what happened to that, but it was, it was it's one of those great lost uh, Star Trek book projects that never got made. Oh man, I'd read the hell out of that thing. That sounds I would, awesome. That would be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> that would be really great to read. Okay, so so the so the studio chickens out and doesn't make the God thing, and uh, now we're what probably still in 1975. Uh, yeah, we're in. Well, we're coming. We're coming into the to 1976 now, and uh, what occurs is uh, the studio basically hires. Uh, well, the studio wants. A script and uh, encourages the uh, uh, other writers to be brought in, and Roddenberry likes that idea because it frees him as a producer, you know, to 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 do what he does best, produce, and then he could always go in and do what he did on the original show, which is he really cleaned up a lot of the scripts. I mean, the final version of Space Seed is actually his. Well, yeah, I mean, Coon fixed. You know, you know, he he really made a you know, huge uncredited contributions to the scripts of the original show. Yeah, I mean that 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 seems like something that he was always open to. I mean, even what I mean, like where No Man Has Gone Before wasn't even written by him, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. was was the cage the cage was written by him though, right? I think it cage was. was written by him, yeah. and he brought in. Um, he brought in uh, uh, DC Fontana to help with the Next Generations, you know. Yeah, he uh, he he doesn't uh, seem to yeah. be precious about you know doing it himself. He's he's willing to to get help where when when needed. I'm yeah, like, and he and he and he and he knows that he can always come in and make you know as he said he said about Next Generation right that he the reason he would not do another show wasn't because he doesn't like Star Trek but because you know he. He, you know, when you when you start up a new Star Trek show, he did it on the original. He did it on Next Gen. He had to rewrite 
every script so that data would sound like data that he wanted him to sound like, or Spock would sound like he wants Spock to sound like, and get enough episodes in the can that other writers could then come in and go, oh, okay, so that's how that character's, that's what that character's voice is. And, you know, Roddenberry does that throughout the whole, you know, run of Star Trek, even in the third season. I think he's, you know, he's certainly not as involved as he was in the second and first seasons of Star Trek, but he's still involved, and he writes many of the episodes and, and also contributes and fixes episodes. So, um, Roddenberry actually uh, is 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 um, supportive of this idea, and he's the one. He, you know, there was some criticism of the writers that were chosen. There were two writers chosen for this next, you know, emanation of the of the uh, script. One was an English uh, writer uh, who was about forty years old, named Chris Bryant, uh, who unfortunately passed away in two thousand and eight. And a uh, 37-year-old writer from Scotland named Alan Scott, who both of them had worked together. And they were both great writers. I mean, Alan Scott would win, get nominations from the Writers Guild and a BAFTA nomination. And he wrote The Preacher's Wife, you know, which is a good good film. And so he's, they, they were both talented writers. And they really didn't want to do it because part of the reason is they were sort of drama writers and the budget was so low, the initial budget was only $5 million, um, that they didn't think, well, is Paramount really serious about this? You know, do they really want a film? How much, what kind of film can we write that's a science fiction film that's going to be only $5 million? And just to give a comparison, Star Wars, which is being made around this time, is being made for about $10 million. So, uh, you know, that's twice the budget. And... Um, so, but it's Roddenberry who number one sticks up for them when people say, "Well, they're drama writers. Why are they writing science fiction?" He said, "Well, what do you think I? What do you think I was?" You know, his his view was, uh, uh, "You know, I came from drama. I used to write cop shows and westerns. Right? I, good science fiction is good drama. So these two writers can certainly come in and write a science fiction script." And the other. Um, thing is the two writers talking about it was Roddenberry that really convinced them to do it, that they knew he was really committed to it. And by that then understood that the, the studio was committed to it and, and then agreed to write the script. So they write a script, um, October, 1976, they do a 20 page treatment and then they deliver their first draft, which would ultimately be their last draft, um, for the most part on March 1st, 1977. Yeah, uh, just, and they have to, to write so, sorry, oh, sure. just to interrupt you, like I, I was just kind of looking at their filmography here and like they had just written Don't Look Now. I mean, you'd figure that would, you know, take away any fears that 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 people might have had. I mean, that movie's considered to be a classic. Right. And it's like horror yeah. and stuff. It's not like straight up drama even. So that's weird that people. Would yeah, I mean, be... it certainly has science fiction elements in it being a horror film, you know, yeah. so it, yeah. they're, you know, they're they're. You know that, but that's the you know I think writers are as stereotyped, especially back then, as uh, as uh, actors are. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, so Roddenberry certainly had to deal with that, right? Where people were like, "Well, you're the guy who created Star Trek. What else can you create? You know, to make more Star Trek." And he's like, "Oh, I can do other things." You know, um, and uh, so they deliver their first draft in, in March first, uh, nineteen seventy seven. And I think again that date is important, right? This draft is being delivered before Star Wars is out, right? Star Wars, it becomes a meteor strike really in May, right? So, you know, you're, you have a good almost two months here plus and, and, and things are happening, right? And, and so um, what's interesting is the way when they write the premise, the, the treatment, and, and even do some writing on the script, they're not entirely sure whose participation they have. So uh, William Shatner's deal with the studio had expired and had to be renegotiated, and that that was renegotiated when they were writing the script. Uh, but Leonard Nimoy was not uh, fully negotiated yet. He had indicated he wanted to do the film, and uh, but of course uh, he had serious concerns about the use of Spock's imagery. Um, he wanted some control over it. He was upset by a Heineken ad that he had seen in another country where um, Spock's ears are standing up. He takes a Heineken, you know, and the, 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 you know they're drooping down. I'm sorry, and then he drinks the Heineken. They point up, and he just thought it was undignified, and it, and it was his image, you know, it was his face. And um, I need to see this. Commercial. So. 
Yeah, it's an interesting ad. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, and and so you know he 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 is, he wants certain things clarified, um, rightly so before making commitments. And so one of the some of the early versions of scripts didn't even have Kirk in it, you know, and the the, the story ideas didn't have Kirk, and and you can kind of see that idea in the Planet of the Titans, the way they kind of craft the story at the beginning. Kirk isn't in it a lot, and so. Um, basically the story of planet of the Titans, and sometimes it's just called planet of Titans because they were concerned that it sounded too much like planet of the apes. Hmm. Um, and so you'll, you'll see both names on some of the documents, but, um, basically the idea is it's, it's, you know, Kirk is the, the, the captain of the enterprise, all the crew is still together and they are sent on a rescue mission. There's a Federation starship, the Da Vinci, um, that has sent out a distress signal, and they the Enterprise is the closest ship because the Enterprise is always the always the only the only and closest ship, and they uh, they are sent there to to try to help the the crew of the Da Vinci, but the Da Vinci is gone when they get there. They can't they can't they have no idea what happened to the ship, um, but they the ship is sort of uh, irradiated with this electromagnetic force. And uh, Kirk disappears. He he takes a shuttle and he disappears, and and no one knows what happens to him. And so we jump three years then later, and the Enterprise is captained by a guy by the name of Gregory Westlake. And in still in this version, Spock has gone to Vulcan to purge himself of his human, you know, side. So that part is still part of the script, and. Um, but the Enterprise is given a mission. They're at they're at Earth, I believe, at this time, and they're given a mission to go back to the same area of space where Kirk has dis- disappeared. Not really necessarily because of Kirk, but because a mysterious planet has appeared out of nowhere, um, and the, in that same region. And so the the, the Enterprise is going to go to investigate. Uh, so meanwhile, while this is happening, Spock is on Vulcan, and he's getting visions again as an idea that would be in Star Trek, the motion picture. And he gets a vision of his own death and, 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 and him going and going to this region of space. So Spock takes a ride along with the, the crew of the enterprise. So it's all the same assembled crew now, except the new captain uh, Westlake. And uh, when they arrive at this, this, this mystery planet, um, they determine that this planet is the home of a race of people called the Titans. And the Titans are, are kind of like the preservers were in the episode, the Paradise Syndrome, the idea that these were like super technologically advanced aliens who maybe even went to other planets and helped them develop and and get technology and 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 now these people are gone so they found the planet but the but the titans aren't there there's no one the titans aren't on the planet and they've disappeared and so the mystery is sort of what happened wow where did this planet come from what happened to the titans on this planet and so while the ship is up in orbit, it gets hit by that electromagnetic force, and it has to separate. So you do have a saucer separation in the movie, mm-hmm. and this, but the saucer doesn't crash land. The, the saucer actually lands on the planet, mm-hmm. and it would have been really cool. And Ralph McQuarrie, I guess we could talk about later on, does some drawings of that idea. But um, uh, so it crash. It, 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 I'm sorry. It lands on the planet, and Spock finds Kirk. So Kirk is on this same planet, and he kind of restores Kirk back to his normal self. So so he's he's not as shocked and and and, and behaving, you know, unusually anymore. And um, and so they go they go back to the Enterprise. And uh, it turns out that the people, the, the, another alien race called the Signans, um, are the ones responsible for the disappearance of the Titans. They're the evil bad guys in the script. At the same time, the Klingons are on the planet trying to figure out what happened to the Titans because they want to get their hands on the technology of this race that has disappeared. Right? So there's a lot kind of going on here. And uh, what eventually happens is the Signans try to take over the Enterprise. Kirk. The, the reason this planet sort of appears and, and, and is now going to disappear, the planet's going to be destroyed, there's a black hole. And so Kirk takes the Enterprise into the black hole 
and they wind up doing a time travel. They time travel to Earth way in the past. Now, the Signans are destroyed through this process, but the Enterprise winds up back in the past. And so guess what? The Enterprise crew are the Titans. That's the, that's the big surprise in the film. They were always the Titans. So because they give human beings like fire and early technology and then, you know, that's sort of the, 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 the end of the film, right? So the big, the big sort of plan of the apes, you know, Ooh, oh my gosh, you know, big surprise. Um, and that was the script. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 it was given to Paramount executives and, uh, you know, the, the, by this time though, things were churning along. I mean, even though the script was being written, there were plans being made. They were, they were spending $7,000 a month. I'm sorry, $7,000 a week in payroll out to pre-production staff, to writers, to, to artists. So, so they were gearing up even before this, this script was done to do a, a movie and had been, you know, since 1975 with the God thing. So, and they, there were decisions that had been made. The film was going to be filmed in England to save money, kind of like they're doing with, with Canada right now. And, and with, um, with Star Trek beyond and um, a new enterprise was going to be created. Uh, the new enterprise was going to be was designed by Ken Adams, who had done work on the Bond films and Doctor Strangelove. And he designed the basic idea of what this new enterprise is going to look like, which is a much more sort of flatter um, secondary uh, section and a bigger, rounder um, uh, saucer section. And then Ralph McQuarrie was brought in. And the reason Ralph McQuarrie was brought in is because Philip Kaufman was eventually chosen as the director. Um, they wanted uh, they wanted and asked Francis Ford Coppola to direct it. They asked Steven Spielberg. They asked Lucas, and they asked Robert Wise. And all of them either had a commitment to do something else or didn't want to do a film, which at that time was being budgeted at seven point five million. Um, and they just figured you can't make this film for 7.5 million. So they all passed. But Philip Kaufman, who would go on to direct lots of films, including uh, The Right Stuff, um, he was interested and he was given the assignment and he was good friends with Lucas. And he was very, very excited about the Star Wars. You know, he knew a lot about it. He had seen what Lucas was doing with it. It wasn't in theaters yet or anything, but he was one of those people in the know. Uh, and was and, and had a good vibe about Star Wars and and you know loved what Lucas was was doing. So he wanted to do Star Trek and do do an interesting science fiction film himself. So Lucas was the one who recommended Ralph McQuarrie as a, 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 a you know a person who can put some vision, some ideas down. Um, and you know some of the drawings are interesting because they look uh, they, they you know see, have, being so familiar with his Star Wars art. Um, it's sometimes hard to go, oh, that's from the Star Trek movie. It looks like it belongs in the Star Wars, you know, Star Wars universe. But um, so he designs like the new Enterprise, or he, I should say he realizes in paintings of the, the Enterprise designed by Ken Adams. He comes up with a new shuttle. He comes up with the, what the planet Vulcan would look like. He does some sort of thought, you know, fun thought. Uh, imagery of the, the Enterprise by uh, an asteroid colony and all that kind of stuff. Um, they make some studio models of that Enterprise. So the, 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 they are making test models and studio models. In fact, that model winds up in some of the other Star Trek movies. If you watch really carefully in, in, in episodes, if you watch carefully in Star Trek Three, when the Enterprise comes into space dock, you see the nacelles of the Ralph McQuarrie Ken Adams Enterprise. Hmm. model is in the corner in the left hand corner and when uh, in unification uh, when they come along to all those alien ships um you can the enterprise comes in you can see very clearly you can see the uh the full um adams macquarie enterprise so um it's used in 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 several of the productions eventually but um hmm. that was made for plan the titans uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's weird that, uh, I mean, it really is kind of like a who's who of, of seventies filmmaking, you know, at, at, at the time it, it really does seem like they, they were doing the same thing that they ended up doing with motion picture. And then also, you know, with JJ, you know, in 2009, where they were trying to get the best filmmakers and not necessarily just, you know, like people to do star Trek, like this seems like they were really taking it seriously. 
That's interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, the studio knew, you know, the the, the fan commitment that had been there really from the beginning of Star Trek, but especially demonstrable, measurable um, by convention attendance. Mego by 1975, Mego, which is just, you know, in some ways mind boggling when you think about it, produces a brand new toy line for a show that had been canceled at that point for six years. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the few other times I could even imagine anything like that was, you know, the, the, the Lone Ranger line that was done in the seventies, you know, uh, just not a normal thing. Normally it was whatever was currently hot is what gets produced as a toy line. And they were, they sold $12 million in toys their first year, um, Mego with, with their Star Trek items. So, I mean, what what fans had done was very important. It had shown Paramount that this was not a fad, that this was a movement, and that that there would be an audience for a film, um, and, uh, and 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 so that was, I think, an important component. So it's a Paramount. And and that's where I think the mythology, it's important to break that mythology. Paramount was not sitting around going, ooh, what do we have that's like Star Wars? This was a movie before Star Wars, um, and they were serious about it. Eventually, they gave a budget of $10 million to, to this film uh, before Star Wars was ever part of anyone's consciousness. So th- they were serious about it, and it was, in a way, Star Wars that led to the cancellation of the movie, not a movie. So, okay, so then what, what went wrong? I guess, you know, so what seems like we're up to about May of 1977, and... Um, mm-hmm. What what happens? Yeah, they're supposed to start filming in November and, and uh, have the film available for theaters in Christmas 1978. That was the goal. And there's a really important uh, newspaper article um, that was written in on May 5th, 1977. So now we're looking here at... Uh, uh, by Ronald Sobel. You know, you're talking here about 20 days before Star Wars opens, right? Yeah. And what this article is about is about the struggle that's that's ensuing making the new Star Trek film or making a Star Trek film. And one of the important things that's, that I think is in this article is in the article, they have changed the title. It's no longer Planet of the Titans. It's now Star Trek The Motion Picture. So where we think that Star Trek the Motion Picture got its name when they released that when they had the big press conference when they had the big press conference in March of 1978 um they they had already renamed it the Motion Picture uh, when it was Planet of the Titans. And in this article they get comments by both Gene Roddenberry and the Paramount producer uh Gerald Eisenberg and Roddenberry all Roddenberry really says is that they have a good script, but that it needs a rewrite. And they're talking here about really that March, March uh, script that's produced. And uh, Gerald Eisenberg, you can see, is a little more pessimistic in a way. Um, he, and at least if he's not pessimistic, he's more specific for sure. And he says the problem with the script is the second half of it. <laughs> so that's kind of big, you know. Uh, and uh, he says the problem is the second half. Um, and he talks about this is costing us a great deal of money, but we're committed to it, and we have the hopes. And he does say Nimoy is not signed yet. So as of May 1977, uh, Leonard Nimoy was not yet fully signed on to the film. And and what what happens is that that article comes out May 5th, May 8th, they uh, Paramount makes the call that this movie is off, mm-hmm. and it's it's off for. Two reasons. Barry Diller calls uh, and informs the, the the Star Trek production company, and there's there's two reasons. One is good news, and one is bad news. One one reason is this Star Wars film that looks like it's going to be a hit. They don't think that people want two science fiction films in theaters around the same time. <laughs> So, so Star, Star Wars plays a role in canceling the yeah. Star Trek film, not in creating it, right? And then, the, but the real, the main reason is Paramount at that time is 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 very seriously thinking about and starting to make plans for a fourth network, and uh, you know, eventually that'll happen. Fox does that, but at this time, nobody had done that. There had been only three networks for the previous, you know, thirty, forty years almost. And, um, 
now they were going to plan to have a fourth network, and they wanted Star Trek to be their flagship show. Now, this eventually would happen with UPN and Voyager, but the the idea was, well, so let's take Star Trek and put it on television where it belongs and make this the big show because that will get us the advertisers. You know, people will go, oh, you have a Star Trek show. And that did work back with UPN when when they did the initial offering of UPN to the to the to the country. Eighty percent of the country signed up for UPN, not because of Platypus Man. Right, which was the other show that they had, but because they had Star Trek Voyager. No, so no, it was wait, the wait, right wait, idea. Hang on, but... hang on, hang on. Don't forget about the right. pigsty, right? Isn't that what oh, it was I'm called? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the they, pigsty. Yeah, another. That was a pretty good show. one. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that lasted about six weeks. So, <laughs> uh, so um, but you know, they 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 had the right idea in the '70s, but it was the wrong time, and there were advertisers were interested only because there was Star Trek, but they did not like the concept of a fourth network. And so that, that idea eventually kind of dies off and, um, you know, but that's where Star Trek phase two is in the history, right? So phase two is the TV show that is going to be on, uh, this brand new Paramount television network and gears up and that's where you know in thy image is written uh which is the pilot which eventually gets morphed into star trek the motion picture uh where they take the pilot of that and turn that into a movie so was there any thought to somehow morphing planet of titans into phase two at all or or was it were they just like this is a lost cause well, there was one last attempt uh, to keep the project alive. Once, once the problems with the script became evident, um, whether deserved or not, uh, the perceived problems with the script, they uh, the, they turned to um, to uh, Kaufman and asked, and 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 he was willing and wanted to write his own script. Based so on based he, on Planet of the Titans, or well, kind of, but not. It it it's, it it has elements of it. Uh, the script was Spock. <laughs> Only I, I don't I don't believe Kirk is in this script. Um, it's Spock as captain of his own ship, and a Klingon as captain of his own ship, and he specifically knew who he wanted to play the Klingon. It was going to be Tashiro Mifun from the Hidden Fortress. So was that the? And, I mean, what wasn't he supposed to play him in Planet of the Titans as well, or or not? There was, yeah. That well, that was his hope, right? He had always wanted him in this movie, um, but this was going to be this his script. You know, in in Planet of the Titans, the Klingons aren't that important. You know what I mean? They're 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 almost like a there because you have to have Klingons in a Star Trek movie. You know, um, they play a role. They're a threat, but the real threat are these that Signan race you know so he he was you know would would have wanted him for that but it was not the kind of role he was writing in this rewrite this rewrite was really a almost two person you know without exaggerating but it was really a two person film and it was spock versus you know the klingon and and them and and the way that he describes it it's hard to get at really what this movie would have been like, but it was sort of like, it was like they would be, they would be tripping. That's what he said. They was like, they'd get together and and be tripping, which I, you know, I don't know what that means, but um, you know, it's, it was more about, it was a very sort of high level science fiction concept and not a traditional Star Trek film. And, and, you know, there are those who've read it have said, I had that one. I've not read, um, but those who have read it, it has, people have said it's, you know, it was, was, was not recognizable, you know, as Star Trek in a way. Um, he thought, and, and, and what I would have been interesting, I'd like to read it for myself to make that determination for my own mind. But, uh, you know, Kaufman thought it would be a great film, that he thought it would really move science fiction into a new era, that it would move Star Trek into a new era. Um, but, you know, the writers of Planet of the Titans had had struggles with 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 Roddenberry and Kaufman had had struggles in the same way that that everyone did um in the sense of like you know Michael Pillar with with the, you know there's a box right Roddenberry created Michael Pillar called it Roddenberry's box and and there were rules that's what made Star Trek so great and Roddenberry thankfully 
adhered to those rules, you know, as much as possible, that this is what the future is going to be like, that Star Trek wasn't this kind of thing, that Star Trek was this kind of thing. And there were a lot of people who didn't know how to write that or struggled with that or would want to do a script where this occurred, you know. Um, I mean, I remember on one of the episodes of Next Gen, one of the notes that Gene Roddenberry had had was that, uh, I think it was the episode, The Bonding, where he, you know, the idea was, you know, you, 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 people don't mourn death in the future the way we do now because they see it as part of a process of life. We've evolved beyond how we think about death now, and that, you know, a lot of them, how do you, what, how do you do conflict that way? How do you do drama that way? Right? You know, and so, um, you know, Rick Berman tried to stay within that box whenever possible, and Michael Piller and. And, you know, I think Kaufman wanted to break that box a little bit. Um, and, and, and as did as Nicholas Meyer, I think, broke the box a little bit. And so um, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done and how he would have treated it. And I think, in a way, a Spock-centric film would have been a very interesting film at that time. Well, it's kind of an interesting idea. I mean, it is sort of like forward thinking in terms of like, world building and that sort of thing. And I, I like the idea of there being like a spin-off movie, essentially, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Right. And focus on, yeah. And focus on, you know, cause in many ways, you know, we all, we all know Spock is as popular a character, if not more popular than Kirk. Right. I mean, I, and so you're doing a major motion picture, you know, that's why next gen, right. The, 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 the you know, because it's a movie, it tends to focus more on data and Picard, uh, you know, the Star Trek films tended to focus a little bit more on Kirk, Spock and, and, uh, bones. It's just, that's because it's a film and you only have two hours and, uh, that's a real, an unfortunate reality for the, for, for the other characters who we all wish we could see more. So let's go back a bit to the, to the planet of the Titans. Now it ended with them on earth teaching humanity, like giving them fire and stuff. Like wouldn't that immediately kill the franchise? Well, that was, that was, and in fact, they mentioned that in that, I believe in that May 5th, uh, 1977 article, I was saying, that was one of the big concerns was, uh, where, where do you go after this? Like it was, it was a, but you know, to be fair, the concept that there was going to be 10 Star Trek films, uh, or well now 13 Star Trek films, um, you know, that, that was not, I mean, people, there was going to be a movie and that was it, right? I mean, that was all that there was going to be. Um, and, uh, so the, the, the concept I think was to have the kind of ending you had in Planet of the Apes. Now, Planet of the Apes was still able to come up with sequels, right? So there, there would have been a way out of that, I would imagine if they wanted to do a sequel, but it was more of a, um, uh, kind of a Planet of the Apes, big surprise, uh, um, and, you know, and that made sense because really prior to, Planet of the Titans, there had only been one crossover mainstream popular science fiction film, right? I mean, even 2001 wasn't mainstream, and, and although it was brilliant, right? And and it was that was a film that, that you know, you were not getting, you know, grandmas and, and, you know, young kids were not going to see 2001 necessarily. And Logan's Run had been successful, but not like huge mass marketed hit a plan of the apes had been right it 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 was the number one highest rated um you know when they showed it on tv it, it was the highest rated uh, program of the week and and it was it it they they had blockbuster lines to see plan of the apes people who didn't like science fiction went to see the first plan of the apes films and and so that was sort of their model in a way um for how to do that and i think because plan of the apes had ended with that big surprise they wanted to have that that be the big surprise it just seems strange that they wouldn't be like oh we accidentally became the titans and showed them fire and whoops and you know i mean like now i think if that story were to be made it would be like well how do we undo this you know but also like did did they get back to the future in that or were they just like stuck there yeah, no, my if, if my, my if my memory is right, they are. That's where it ends. There, that that's the surprise is where it ends. They're just like uh, the implicate. Yeah, the implication is, of course, you know, they could use other methods to to come back to their own time, but they're kind of, you know, the black hole 
sucks them back through time and that black hole is not does not have a way you know it's not a two-way experience like they are their own prime directive that's weird <laughs> they're they're like nero you know going back in time and changing yeah. things because why not <laughs> yeah they could have had kirk talk like nero would have been great <laughs> <laughs> that was another life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's that's just that's so weird. I mean, you know, the the Philip Kaufman thing. I mean, at, at least it, it's it seems weird, but at least I don't know. I mean, then again, you know, even even if it is weird, I mean, Philip Kaufman, right? I mean, he was one of the writers on Raiders of the Lost Ark, so I mean, I'd, I'd watch a Star Trek movie by him. Why not? Right? I mean, yeah, and I mean, I think, I think, you know, what, what, it, it would have certainly moved the franchise into a, a different area. It sounds like, but that's what he wanted to do. He wanted it to be a really adult, mature. You know what? What he, what I, what I think he was, what it would think he was going for was to try to bring almost a literary type of science fiction to the screen. You know, and uh, you know, one way you can do that on a limited budget, of course, is to, to. to focus on less less characters right and uh um, you know that could be part of that thing too because they certainly weren't we're, we're not going to be throwing more money at the film at this point and it was really a lot of his own initiative to write you know, and i think that that speaks to how enthusiastic he was about his agent had told him not to take star trek that you know he just wanted to do a t it's a tv show you know turning into a a movie, you know, that's, that's, you don't, don't do that. And he wanted to do it. He was enthusiastic about it. And I think it was his sort of initiative in trying to save the film by writing his own script, uh, you know, speaks to the dedication that he had to it. And, you know, I hope someday maybe he, he can bring that script out and people can get a, get a chance to see it. Yeah. So, okay. So you saw, well, you saw Star Trek, the motion picture, I take it. And um, you've read the God thing, and you've have you read Planet of Titans? No, the Planet Planet of the Titans and uh, and both versions have never been, at least to mind. I mean, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but have never been put into a library archive or um, you know, put out there in a way like in thy image, which is the script to um. Uh, to the to phase two to the television show that was you could purchase that script yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know legally so uh, that you know that that's that that has been out there and so unfortunately there's never really been a lot of the materials more of the artwork from planet of the titans is available than the script material yeah um, there's, uh, lots of, uh, you know, especially the work that, um, although, you know, if you read, uh, phase two, the, the, the lost Star Trek, you know, book that, uh, that was done by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens. And then their art, the art of Star Trek book, they, they, they're, you know, they're, they're Star Trek historians in their own right, in addition to being creative people. And, uh, they did a great job of charting that history and, and busting the myths. And I, if, if people have not read, their work on uh, the history of phase two, um, you'll get a little bit more about, you know, the God thing and, and, um, uh, plan the Titans in there as well. Hmm. Okay. So uh, in your, in your expert opinion, then would, do you think that, uh, planet of the Titans would have been a superior film to the motion picture? Well, I think, uh, uh, maybe um, I, I think there were things in it that would have been clever and new and different. Um, I think the idea of the saucer separation would have been great um, and surprising. Um, the enterprise is, you know, not necessarily surprising. Um, you know, part of the problem with Star Trek motion pictures, the enterprise is not really a character in the movie except as a as a uh, MacGuffin or, or a, a love object of Kirk, you know, I mean, the 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 ship, the ship doesn't really come to the rescue, you know, in the way that it does in other films. A good example is Star Trek 2009, right? I mean, the, I mean, yes, it's the people that come to the rescue, but it's, you know, when the ship comes through and and does something. Uh, whereas for Star Trek the motion picture, it's kind of along for the ride, you know. 
yeah. uh, most of the time. It's being pulled in, um, and it's really just a sh- it's just a trend, and really it betrays the betrays them right with the with the wormhole problem and stuff. So it's you know uh, I think that the ship was treated better um, in Planet of Titans, and I think we would have been able to see more of it. More of it. It would have looked different, but uh, it, it you know it it would have been a character in that story. And I think that would have been interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I also think that some of the beats are the same. So, you know, the whole Spock on Vulcan and getting a vision and all of that and the planet Titans that's, that's delved into more. So we see a little bit more of Vulcan and, and I think that that would have been interesting because Vulcan is just too short an experience in Star Trek, the motion picture. I would have loved to have seen Spock with the long hair longer and, 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 and see his, what is the colon are really, what was that like for him? And I, and you do get a little bit more of that in, in plan of the Titans. And, uh, so I, you know, I, it's, it's hard to say, I think they would have needed to clean that ending up. Um, I don't think it was necessary that they were the Titans. I, I think, I think it had enough Star Trek themes in it that they could have dropped that element and come up with a different way to defeat the bad guys than having to go into the black hole. And, um, you know, and I think Kirk disappearing in the script seems to me to be more of a, um, well, if we don't have Shatner, we can still do this movie, right? So you open it up with Kirk disappearing and then, you know, you don't even have to show that you just have it. You can have a title card that says Kirk disappeared, you know? Um, and, uh, and, uh, that sort of explains why, why William Shatner isn't in the film, the Kirk character isn't in there. So, I mean, I, you know, they, they, they also had to write that script under a very fast deadline because there was this writer strike coming. It did never materialized. That was one that was, uh, they, they were able to avoid that, but, uh, they, uh, they had to write that pretty quickly too. So, you know, um, you know, they, 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 they're doing a 20 page story treatment in October, uh, towards the end of October. And, uh, you know, within, you know, four months, one of which is a short month, they have a full script ready to go. So, uh, you got to give them a little bit of a break too. Plus they're, that, that was all pioneering new ground. You know, what are these characters going to look like in a movie world? What does that mean? Um, you know, but Star Trek, the motion picture, um, you know, is always kind of considered a glorious failure, right? Because it, 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 it did restart the franchise, got it going again. There are wonderful things about it. The special effects are incredible. The, the, um, it has a Star Trek story at its heart, even if it, the characters don't quite have the kind of charm that they, and the twinkle in the eye that they they normally have, because everyone's just very serious in that film. And of course, it has a fantastic soundtrack. So, you know, had they done Planet of the Titans, we, you know, would would we have Jerry Goldsmith's music? Probably not, you know, because uh, they didn't have a budget to, do, <laughs> to get Jerry Goldsmith, you know. Uh, so, you know, I. I, it, it's always tough to say what would have been better or worse. I, I certainly would love to have a you know an, uh, you know a great writer go in and give us that version of of that in, in a different format so we could see what that whole story might have looked like. Yeah, it's it's strange, you know the 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 there's so many like alternate timelines of Star Trek and what ifs and like if this had happened, then what would that mean for the next thing and. I mean, it's just, it's such a strange balancing act to get us to where we are now, you know, and just everything needs to click into place exactly. And it's it's interesting to wonder what would happen if something like this, you know, just one movie getting made would, how that would change everything else that came after. Yeah. And, you know, I think in some ways the, the, the fact that it would have come out in Christmas 78, at a time when Star Wars was still still very much the dominant, you know, uh, um, cultural reference to science fiction at the time, and we certainly we had had um, Close Encounters, um, and Close Encounters had broken through, right? I mean that that did phenomenal business and and was critically acclaimed and and was culturally significant. Um, so I you know there was, I think that showed that there was room for for more science fiction that it was, that was not just a one-off and people only wanted more star Wars films. Um, but it would, you know, that timing of it, the Christmas 78, you know, that, that 
would that you know there would have been a chain reaction, right? I mean, so you we, we wouldn't have probably gotten Rathacon. Mm-hmm. Because Rathacon had to had to come into existence because of the motion picture, there had to be the glorious failure of the motion picture to get the Rathacon. And so, you know, as Spock says in Star Trek VI, the universe unfolds as it should, and and you know, I think we got what we were supposed to get as fans um, along the way. But you know, gosh, I wish you know a, a rich person with you know ten million dollars could go back <laughs> and make this film just to see what it would have been like, you know. Uh, I would have loved to have seen it. IDW, come on, get on that. IDW doesn't listen to this, but come on, IDW, get on that. <laughs> sure they do. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, who who would have thought we would have ever gotten in Harlan Ellison's City on the Edge of Forever? Yeah. Uh, and we finally got it. So, you know, who knows? We Maybe one day we'll get Philip Kaufman's uh, comic book version of... of I, don't, I mean, it, it seems like City on the Edge of Forever did relatively well. I mean... What I mean, this is like money in the bank. Come on, you know, unless Paramount is like, no, you know, but I mean, come on, do it, do it. Anyway. Yeah, I always wonder, I, you know, I, I always think I, you know, I, Star Trek needs, um, I think I probably said this before on your show. I think Star Trek needs a Steve Sansweet, you know, um, it, it needs, they, they, they're, they're, and then, and then they have certainly people who, who make these decisions that are fans, um, but sometimes you wonder, like that, there there are a lot of fans that are interested in this kind of this history, and you know, I I could understand the idea. Do you risk? Do you risk? You know, you, you only have a certain amount of resources, time, or whatever. So do you risk a comic book series or a book or a you know whatever web series or a documentary or whatever it would be? Um, do you risk that on something from a forty-year-old failed script? You know, and uh, I could I could certainly understand that, but I think there would be a lot of interest in seeing what these. I mean, and and it has happened, right? We did get the Joy Machine, um, which was a, a a script that was written, I believe, by Theodore Sturgeon, um, and that was done as a novel by by James Gunn, and so that you know that when that was supposed to be, I think, a fourth season episode, if I'm not mistaken. So this has happened. Uh, the Fearful Summons by Denny Martin Flynn includes the beginning of Star Trek VI as it was supposed to be in the script. So we 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 have seen some of these books come out, and I think it would be a phenomenal, uh, you know, there would be a phenomenal interest in in what would it have been like to see, you know, the God. What was what was Gene Roddenberry's original idea for for Star Trek motion picture, and what was this 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 film that very few people have heard of, what would that have looked like? You know, yeah. um, I, I wish that that would be done, but you know, that they, if, if you got to take a risk, well, we'll make, make, I guess got to, they have to calculate all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe one day, maybe, maybe we should start like a campaign, get this thing made. I don't know. Yeah. Or I'd love to see just, you know, fans, uh, you know, fan films, uh, you know, I don't know what the rules are on that kind of thing, but uh, w- in the world of fan films, to maybe take that universe anyway and, and try to expand on it, or I know they can't take the exact script and do it, um, or or even just, you know, I'd, I'd love to see a, uh, uh, you know, a, a portion of the Star StarTrek.com website that was, you know, and they're starting to do this where they're releasing some of the archival materials on that on the website and i would love to just see like hey here's the script for (laughs) you know here's ralph macquarie's art you know that kind of thing um and and have a section i'd I'd pay for it i you know like a fan club type section and and have it be a a a a, you know if it had to be paid content to support it i would pay for it i think a lot of fans would do that too Mm -hmm. um and get this bonus content of what could have been Man, you should pitch it. You're the guy to do this. Come on, John. We're counting on you. <laughs> I have, I have to stay nonprofit to do everything that I do. You know, that's the the uh, the uh, well, that's the nice thing about it, right? I get to do it just because I love to do it, and uh, uh, you know. But I I do hope that uh, you know that there you know or or just a really great uh, you know focused to take to get great writers like Paula Block or Terry Erdman or, or Judy and Garfield Reese Stevens, if they still had the time and interest um, to really focus and do like a book just on the God thing, you know, then do a book just on, 
the Planet of the Titans and then and interview Phil Kaufman and interview or find interviews, you know, and find interviews with, with the, with, with, with the writers and just go to John Povel and the people that were there at that time and Richard Arnold and things like that and ask them about what these things would have looked like and really do a detailed thing I think would make just for an excellent book and uh, book series. Cause you know, you get that with star Wars all the time, you know, there's all these really wonderful making of books, not just the, the Rinsler books that come have come out that are just incredibly fantastic, but the just they've been script books and annotated script books and all these great, books that have come out and I, I think there's just as much hunger for that in the world of Star Trek even if the audience isn't as big it would it would resonate with people for sure for sure well um, you know I mean I, I, I think it's great at least to get this little taste of, of, of what might have been even if we don't have those books it's great to hear about you know what might have been here so yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show it's always been an honor to have you on and, and this was no exception for sure. Well, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate all the work you guys have done to, 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 you know, to look at these kinds of issues and to give a, a place for people like myself or Larry or anyone to come on and just uh, to, to share what they know about Star Trek and to, and to share the information with fellow fans. So thank you for all the shows that you've done. That was a good talk with John. I'd like to thank him for always being willing to come on standard orbit with us and for always having so much information just right there with him. But talking about Titans is not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what else is happening on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Not inner space. Inner phase. Inner space is the that's the one where they shrink down and they like go and like fight viruses. First movie I ever saw letterboxed. Huh. I was like, why are there black bars in the top and bottom of the screen? This movie is garbage. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus 2? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus 2, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward, because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> to the journey! It's fake intimacy. Thank you! It is them trying to say, Chakotay knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge, he knows the crap's gonna hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Weird is relative when you're talking about a book about a guy who taxidermies his mother, so... The 602 Club. I think you've uh, hit something here, and I've never thought of it this way, but the true savior of the galaxy, it's not Obi-Wan, it's not Luke Skywalker, it's Aunt Beru. Literary Treks. Reagan's a great guy to bring up because his dad was this raging drunk, mm. and, uh, you know, he had a sort of dragon with him on the, off the porch at night, he'd come home, like, falling down drunk, and, you know, you think of... And here he was, this kind of great man for the country at the time, uh, but he came from a place that was really kind of dark, but also very relatable. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone, and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plus she banged Riker's dad. <laughs> oh, Andy. I'm sorry, I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or you can just stream from the website. Just visit Trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. If you want to contact us and share your thoughts on today's show, just go to Trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using webcam's microphone. You can talk to us and other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. 
In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trekfm, and on Twitter under username trekfm. You can find Mike on Twitter at mumbles3k. You can find him on Commentary Trek Stars right here on Trek FM, and you can find him at commentarytrackstars.com. You can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive and Federation, Audible is something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. We'd also like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. and Renee Roberts for being our associate producers this week by supporting us on Patreon. You can find Richard on Twitter at rut8972 and Renee at mres underscore 1701. And if you want to join them in keeping us in orbit, you can also support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as associate producer for our shows. You'll also find out where the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.